0: You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast
1: collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.
0: Holly Randall Unfiltered is brought to you by hotmovies.com. Do you want a website where you can see it all? One place to stream your favorite movies? One place with hundreds of scenes with your favorite stars? Then you want to visit hotmovies.com. Hotmovies.com is your one-stop shop for all your adult movie needs. They even have a bunch of my movies, like graphic content, my most recent feature that I wrote and directed for Wicked Pictures. The best part is, by using my code HOLLY, you'll get 40 free minutes. No credit card required. So make sure that you visit hotmovies.com and use my code HOLLY for your free 40 minutes. Already a member of Hot Movies? You can still use my code to get an additional 20 minutes free. That's hotmovies.com, code HOLLY, H-O-L-L-Y. You won't regret it. Holly Randall Unfiltered is also brought to you by Adam and Eve. AdamandEve.com is like the biggest online superstore for all of your sex needs. They've got toys, they've got lingerie, they've got movies. It's pretty much a one-stop shop for everything sexy. Now, you'll get 10 free gifts when you order one item. Something for her, something for him, something you'll both enjoy, and six free movies, plus free shipping. All you have to do is enter code HOLLY at checkout. That's H-O-L-L-Y at adamandeve.com for your 10 free gifts. Hello, listeners. Today on the podcast, I have the lovely Kenzie Taylor. I was excited to have Kenzie on because not only is she a gorgeous and very popular porn star, but mostly because she is what one would call a fellow sober sister. It really just means that we are both sober, and if you have been listening to my podcast for any significant amount of time, you know that this is one of my favorite topics. Now, if you don't struggle with addiction, or really any type of mental illness at all, well, first of all, good for you. But chances are you know somebody who struggles with it. Chances are you love somebody who struggles with it. I was a raging alcoholic from my early college days all the way through my 20s. I partied a lot in college, and who doesn't? So I didn't think there was anything really wrong with me. Yes, I was usually the drunkest girl at parties. Yes, I often had to be carried home. Yes, sometimes I walked around my dorms, pantless and in a blackout, but I mean, who didn't? At first, it was funny. There goes Holly. She's such a party girl. Don't challenge her to a drinking contest. And then college was over. Yeah, I know. I can't believe I graduated either. And all of my friends started growing up. My friend Don no longer wanted to smoke six-foot bong loads. People didn't want to get wasted on a Tuesday night. And so I waited to grow up, too. I figured one day I'd wake up, and I'd suddenly decide to become a responsible adult, and I, too, would slow down on the partying. Except that's not what happened. In fact, I started to get worse. I remember once I told my dad that I thought I might have a drinking problem. He told me, don't be ridiculous. Alcoholics are the kind of people who drink in the morning to stop the shakes. You're not that kind of drinker. And he was right. I wasn't. Until one day, I was. And then it got to the point where I had to drink around the clock just to not get sick. I could not believe I had become that person. And believe me, I tried everything. I tried marijuana maintenance, I tried abuse. I tried therapy, I tried antidepressants, I even tried that magic pill, naltrexone. That last one is kind of a doozy. Look it up if you're curious. There's even a documentary on it called One Little Pill. Apparently, it does work for some people, so I'm not here trying to knock it. But for me... Well, I'll tell you the story. When I was in the midst of my relapse, a little background for you if you don't know, I got sober in 2008, and I was sober for seven years before I relapsed, and then I spent over four years trying to get sober again. And I was desperate for anything because I just couldn't stop the cycle. This seemed to be like the magic pill. I related so much to the narrator of that documentary I mentioned, Claudia Christian, how she had everything, this amazing life, and just couldn't stop self-destructing. I thought maybe this was my answer. And when I first tried it, it seemed like it was. It did stop the physical craving like it promised it would. I would slowly drink one glass of wine and not desire another. I thought I'd hit the jackpot. I was so relieved. I could be a normal human being again. I could drink at social events without making an ass of myself. I could have a glass of wine at dinner without finishing the bottle. I could drink at home with my boyfriend and not black out. I could fit in with society. I didn't have to be the liability at an event with booze or the sober, wet blanket that, you know, wanted to go home early. Except, well, it didn't work. First of all, it was meant to treat just excessive alcohol consumption, which meant that it didn't stop me from smoking copious amounts of weed. And yes, I know that smoking weed is not like drinking alcohol. I could function stoned. Well, sort of. I didn't black out from smoking pot. I didn't drive my car into the garage door. I didn't call up ex-boyfriends and demand to know why they didn't love me anymore. But it wasn't present in my life. It felt like I was on the outside, watching everything through glass, as my life continued on in front of me without me really being in it. Not to mention that it definitely made me forgetful. I'd slip up on little things at work, forget to fill out paperwork completely, forget to order a piece of wardrobe I needed, or any multitude of little details. And my career is comprised of so many details, It's really just myself and my assistant who run basically everything on every project that I do. And I have a lot of projects, and I have clients who expect a lot from me. I had spent years building up my reputation as a dependable, detail-oriented worker, and I felt like this was slipping away from me, puff by puff. And then the unexplainable started happening. I would pick up a bottle of wine to share with my boyfriend for the night, And before I knew what I was doing, I started buying those little airplane bottles of vodka and hiding them in my purse and in various places around the house. In between measured, civilized glasses of wine, I started knocking back these little vodka shots. And I couldn't really tell you why. Like I said, the physical craving had been removed. I wasn't craving the vodka. It was almost like I was forcing myself to drink it. I hadn't defeated the monster after all. My anxiety skyrocketed, my panic attacks came back, and everything seemed too much. Even packing wardrobe for a shoot, something I've literally done, no joke, probably a thousand times in my 20 year career, became an insurmountable task. Scheduling shoots was too much, driving to set was too much. Everything was just too much. My little experiment with naltrexone made me realize something, that my alcoholism didn't have so much to do with alcohol, or even my brain plus alcohol, as it did with my brain itself. The excessive pot smoking, the hidden vodka bottles, it was all an indication of my desire to simply check out. I just didn't want to live in reality. And that, I think, is the root cause behind pretty much all addictions. And addiction rears its ugly head in all kinds of ways. For me, it was alcohol. For others, it might be drugs. It could be food. It could be sex or it could be porn. For me, it's all one and the same. It's an obsession to fill some void within us with something that brings us pleasure. It doesn't really matter what your drug of choice is. We all suffer from the same malady. And this got me to thinking on the subject of porn addiction specifically. Something that, you know, I know is a controversial subject these days. You see, I've seen a lot of people blame the adult industry for their affliction. And in my opinion, I don't think you're actually pinpointing the real issue. Like, I don't blame the alcohol industry for my alcoholism. I don't think vodka should be banned. There are plenty of people who can consume alcohol in a responsible way, There are plenty of people who can enjoy drinking and use it to unwind from their stressful lives. I'm just not one of those people. Alcohol does something to me, something very strange. It's like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde scenario where when I take one drink, I literally cannot stop. It turns some switch in my brain on that creates an incredibly powerful craving that I am unable to resist. I'll lie, I'll cheat, I'll steal, I'll do anything to chase that high. And though I've never had an addiction to porn, if anything, I can't watch it anymore because I know everyone in all the scenes, plus I'm jaded as fuck, I can understand the mentality behind such an addiction. I can understand how those moments of escape, the pleasure it brings, how it can start to take over one's life. I can see how it can get in the way of our relationships with other people, especially intimate relationships but I think it's misdirected thinking to blame porn itself for the problem because chances are it goes so much deeper than that. We always want to blame outside influences for how we feel inside, but so much of what troubles us comes from within. Now I'm not suggesting that people with a porn addiction should continue to watch porn freely. I'm not a therapist and I can't suggest how to deal with such an issue And if that is your problem, I do, of course, encourage you to seek professional help. But on a social and even political level, what I do think is not helpful is trying to blame an entire industry for such an addiction. We're just here trying to create content that will bring people a little excitement, a little pleasure into their lives, a little escape. But just like I don't blame Smirnoff for my inability to consume vodka in a responsible way don't blame browsers for your inability to consume porn in a responsible way. Anyhow, these are my thoughts on addiction as a whole, and I'm so happy to have Kenzie here to expand on this. I truly appreciate people like her who aren't afraid to open up about their own struggles so that others who might be experiencing the same thing can relate. Because maybe that void I spoke of earlier, the one that so many of us try to fill with alcohol, drugs, food, or porn, maybe some of that is because of a lack of human connection, that's what we're missing. These addictions isolate us, but talking about them bonds us. If you are struggling with addiction in any form, I hope this something I've said or something that Kenzie says in this interview helps you realize, if anything, you are not alone. So, let's welcome to the show Kenzie Taylor. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Holly Randall Unfiltered. Today I have on the very beautiful and the very blonde <laughs> Kenzie Taylor. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm
1: good. Thank you for having me.
0: You're so welcome. Thank you for coming.
1: Um, how's your head? It's pretty sore. <laughs> <laughs> I sat with bleach on it yesterday for a long time. And yeah. It took about six and a half hours.
0: Yeah. That, so
1: I'm just like, ah. Your
0: hair is super blonde right now. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who are not watching this um, at the moment, you're just listening. Kenzie it had to dye her hair because she is starring in the new – captain marvel Mm -hmm. parody so that's super exciting
1: yeah i'm really excited
0: (laughs) so it's an axel braun feature so Mm -hmm. you know that the days will be very long Mm -hmm. but it will come out to look amazing so is this your first
1: time working for axel um, well, I've worked for him for a few, like, gonzo scenes mm-hmm. or – well, Some of his all-sex
0: movies for Wicked, yeah. Yeah,
1: but um, I've never done, you know, a feature parody for him. So mm-hmm. when I did the audition, I was extremely nervous and I had to do probably – 50 different takes of it
0: (laughs) really yeah
1: to make sure i'm a perfectionist so i wanted to make sure everything was completely perfect
0: so this was a video audition that you sent in Mm -hmm. right yeah he
1: he sent uh well if you asked if you wanted to audition he would send like basically a paragraph of what he wanted you to say Mm -hmm. so yeah i did that and basically did it in uh bunch of different ways, and then um, edited it and put it all together. So Mm -hmm. it kind of looked like a little mini five-minute movie. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It was pretty cool.
0: And then did he have you come in for, like, a live reading after that, or did he book you just based on the video audition?
1: Um, No, he booked me based on the video audition. Um, It was me and... Uh, I can't even remember the number. It was like a hundred and something other girls. So when I got the news, I, I have a video on my phone that Seth made. It's so embarrassing, but I was like crying (laughs) like, is this serious?
0: That must be so, and Seth must be so excited for you. So for those of you who don't know, Seth Gamble is Kenzie's boyfriend Mm -hmm. and he's also been on this podcast. So if you aren't familiar with him, you should go back and listen to um, our interview. Um, warning, we do talk about sobriety for like 80% of the podcast, but, um, he's an amazing actor and he's Mm -hmm. done a ton of Axel Braun films and won a ton of awards for them. So Mm -hmm. he must've been so excited for you.
1: Yeah. He was really, really excited. He said that when he saw my reaction of that, that it was better than, um, any role he's ever got because he just loved to see that reaction from me, so that was pretty special.
0: That's really great, and I know Mm -hmm. um, you and Seth have been through a lot
1: together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been together for three years, but we've definitely been to hell and back, so... But everything's amazing now, so... So,
0: I want to... I do want to touch on on that a little bit, if you're okay, because I feel like Mm -hmm. you and I kind of have, like, a similar story, so I've also been with my boyfriend for three years, Mm -hmm. and I put him through hell um mm-hmm. because of my drinking problem mm-hmm. and i know that you and seth went, went through the same thing
1: because
0: mm-hmm. um, he was sober and you were not mm-hmm. and i actually remember before you got sober uh i talked to him about it a little bit and he was telling me how hard it was for him because he loved you so much um but you know he couldn't Watch you go through that, but also too, and like, that's almost the most painful thing for watching someone go through alcoholism. Cause I watched this with my dad mm-hmm. when you're sober, because you know what it's like to be in that place. Like you have that understanding and it's so hard because you know how painful it is and you know, there's really nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. Like you can try to be there for them, but it's up to that person to, to get sober mm-hmm. and it's their journey and yeah. you can't you can't make them sober and that's one of the worst things Mm -hmm. because you know how amazing it is on the other side.
1: It is amazing. Um, I think that, yes, I did put him through hell. (laughs) Um, (laughs) we actually were drinking and using together at Mm -hmm. the, like the beginning of our relationship. And then, you know, he obviously told you and everyone else on the podcast, Mm -hmm. he, he went through his bottom period Mm -hmm. and then, um, Got sober, and yes, I continued to drink and stuff. I didn't think that I was an alcoholic mm-hmm. because I didn't do it every day. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what an alcoholic was. Right. Um, but obviously, fast forward to now, I know that I'm definitely an alcoholic and a drug addict, even though I didn't do it every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I did it excessively, and every single time I did it, I couldn't stop, and I always blacked out. Mm-hmm. And then I did very destructive fucked up things. Yeah. So, um yeah, I had a lot of amends to make to people. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: I'm really. actually on that step right now. Like literally I'm meeting with my sponsor day after tomorrow mm-hmm. and we're going through all the people I have to yeah. apologize to. I'm like, oh no. yeah,
1: not that
0: excited about it, but I know it's an important part of the journey. Um
1: very humbling. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when um I made amends to Um, my mom, that was probably the hardest for me. Um, I didn't talk to her for like seven or eight years. Oh wow. So when I made amends to her, like she just cried and cried and I don't know, we have an amazing relationship today. That's so so
0: great. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of a struggle about it for me is that, um, and for those of you who have listened to my show before and listened to me talk about this, I was sober for seven years. So I had gotten sober. I went through the steps. Actually, I didn't go through all the steps. I don't think I ever finished my nine step, but, um, so I had done some amends. So there's a part of me that almost feels like the people that I need to make amends to again, Mm -hmm. like, is it that valuable? Because it's like, here I go again, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And so I don't know, there's something like that really bothers me about that, but I know that it's important. In
1: my opinion, I, I think that it's very important that you're actually going through that again, because Like I was just saying, it's a very humbling thing, Mm -hmm. and it kind of will like knock you back down to reality. Like You're like, wow, I really am here. And you can just tell yourself, I never want to have to do this again. Right. So after you do this, you just do like how we do a spot check inventory. Mm -hmm. So any time I have an issue with someone or I did something wrong, I just make a quick amends then instead of having to constantly go through (laughs) an entire list. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And
0: I think also, too, like, it kind of makes you take responsibility for your actions as well. Like, when you 100%. say it out loud and you apologize and mm-hmm. you're like, okay, like, I've literally put that out into the universe and mm-hmm. now I need to, like, make sure that I abide by that. For sure. Yeah. So how was it for you when um, when Seth got sober? Like, did you think to yourself, like, oh, that needed to happen, but, like, I'm fine? Like, what what was that experience like for you?
1: Um. I actually had a really hard time with it at first. Um not that I didn't want him to. I really wanted him to because mm-hmm. I I was there and seen, you know, everything go down mm-hmm. for months. Um and I was there. I was like the only person there when he was like basically dying. I had to shove my hand down his throat and make him throw up and like drag him to the shower. Oh my god. Um and you know, I called like almost 70 different rehabs and found one to get him in and, you know, was there throughout that whole process. So Mm -hmm. that was just a very scary thing. I was just very, uh, scared for him, not Mm -hmm. in a bad way, but just scared. I didn't know if he was going to prevail to the other side or if he was just going to come out and go back and be even worse than he was. Right. Right. And that was just out of, you know, my love for him. It wasn't like I thought he was a piece of crap or anything like that. Um, But yeah, so he got sober and then he came home and of course, you you know, when you're on that pink cloud and stuff for Mm -hmm. like three months, which I was on as well, but when you're on that, everything's amazing and then you get a little further along and it's kind of like you're beginning to learn who you are. Mm -hmm. You never know who you are really, especially if you got messed up for so long. Mm -hmm. It's like you're... Basically a child again.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, because you are emotionally stunted mm-hmm. from, you know, using drugs and alcohol to deal with all of your problems. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you only develop as a human being once you, you face challenges and you walk through them mm-hmm. and come out on the other side. That's what makes you like who you are and that what that's emotional growth for you. Like, mm-hmm. you can't have that without being uncomfortable at some point in your life. So, um, when you, when you use the drugs and alcohol to just push that all down, you don't, you don't get to have that experience. Mm-hmm. So then you get to have it like later in life mm-hmm. when you're older, maybe other people have already kind of been through that and you're like just starting at the beginning. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's, I agree with you. That's where it gets tough because that's when you have to deal with problems and you can't use anything mm-hmm. to like help alleviate the pain or the stress. And that's when it
1: gets tough. Exactly. Um, so yeah, basically going through that, uh, I didn't even, it was almost like I was completely like clueless, um, to how badly I was affecting him and other people around me. Mm -hmm. Um, because like I said, I'm the type of person when I would get really messed up, I would black out every time. And then I would wake up in the morning and him or other people would be like, Do you know what you did? I'm like, no. Isn't
0: that the worst line ever? And I, because I was a blackout drinker too. Yeah. That that next morning. Do you know what you did last night?
1: Yeah. I'm like, Uh, damn it.
0: Like every time I hear that, it still makes my skin crawl. You know.
1: Mm -hmm. So that was just really horrible. Um, and I, I mean, I did that for months, and it got to the point where I remember I was in the bathroom one day, and I was like really hungover. And I was, I think I was like brushing my hair or something. And Seth came in and he was like, Don't you think you have a problem? He's like, Obviously, I can't tell you you're an alcoholic, but don't you think you have a little bit of a problem? And he was like listing off some things that I had done previously within mm-hmm. the last couple of months. And I really thought about it and I was like, Wow, you know, I really do think I have some sort of issue, but I'm definitely not an alcoholic. Yeah. And then, you know, fast forward to, Probably about three months after that, um, I had done something really horrible. And I definitely had that moment of I either need to get help or I was going to kill myself. Mm -hmm. And I had called a bunch of different places. And I uh, ended up getting into a place as well. And I went away for a while. And then I got out. And I've been very serious about my program ever since. I've done the steps twice. My sponsor is amazing. I talk to her almost every day. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I I sponsor people and speak at meetings and stuff like that. And my life today is very full. Of course, you know, I'm a human being. I'm not perfect and I fuck up a lot. But yeah. at least now it's, it's – I'm sober and clean. So I'm mm-hmm. not like forgetting what I did. I remember everything and I'm able to spot check and make amends like I was saying. So – It's a lot better quality of life.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Do you ever, is there a part of you that almost feels like it's some bizarrely twisted gift um, that you got being an alcoholic?
1: For sure. I I honestly think that not even people in the program, but like outside, if everyone did the steps – their lives would, ju- like, drastically change. I
0: know. For I, sure. It's so funny. I think the same thing. I have a really good friend who is not – he's not an – I mean, he likes to party, but he's not an alcoholic. But he, you know, is – he deals a lot of, like, depression and a lot of um, issues with the relationships and stuff like that. And I'm always like, fuck. Like, part of me wishes you were an alcoholic so mm-hmm. that you could maybe try – Cause you can, re- I mean, you can apply the 12 steps to anything, you know, mm-hmm. that's why they have overeaters anonymous. They have, um, uh, what else they have SLA sex mm-hmm. and love addicts anonymous. So you can really apply the 12 steps to, to anything in your life that you're having trouble with and, and it can ring true. And, um, yeah, I definitely have thought, God, you know, if you just had this pro like your life would be so much better because mm-hmm. so many of the problems, cause it's not just about drinking. Like if it, that's the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's about dealing with life
1: mm-hmm. sober.
0: And that's that's the hard part. And that's what I think a lot of people don't understand. So
1: hard. <laughs> yeah. It takes quite a while to I don't want to say master because we're never gonna master it. Right. But it takes quite a while to like grasp things. Kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, where you're riding a horse and you're finally like, Oh, I got a hold of the reins a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> My horse isn't fucking going out of control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's how I feel about it. You know, I have a little bit more of control on things. Mm-hmm. So it f- feels a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, you know, I don't feel like a piece of crap anymore. I can wake up in the morning and look at myself in the mirror and be like, and not hate yourself. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, I'm, I'm clean today. I didn't hurt anyone. I didn't hurt myself. I wasn't an asshole yesterday. Like, Today's beautiful. Yeah. And I actually have positive affirmations in my bathroom on Mm post-its and I read those every day to myself.
0: Yeah. So it's funny, you know um, what you said about looking in the mirror and um, not hating yourself. My friend, Josh lazy, who was also on this podcast, you guys should go listen to that episode. If you're interested in sobriety at all, he's been sober for a long time and he's an amazing speaker. Um, But he, I remember when I first heard him speak, I was struggling with my relapse at the time because I had seven years and then I relapsed and it took me four and a half years to get to where I'm at now, mm-hmm. which is I'm only at like, I'll be 11 months in a couple of days. Uh, but he said, um, you know, cause sometimes you go and you hear people speak and they're like, Oh my God. And I got sober and all my wildest dreams came Mm -hmm. true and Mm -hmm. now I'm like super rich and I have this amazing wife and I have this amazing home and I travel here and I travel there. Yeah. And sometimes (laughs) like you hear all that stuff and you're just like, it sounds a little bit like it sounds a little bit farcical. And also mm-hmm. too, I think some people think like that, that re- you know, that's not going to happen to everybody. You're not going to get sober and you're going to like fucking be super rich and like exactly. happy and everything's perfect. But he's, and he said that, you know, he's like, and you know, I'm not super rich and I'm not, I don't have a wife and you know, I don't have this, I don't travel all over the world and live in this huge mansion. He said, but what I do have is um, I can look in the mirror and every day, like I'm okay with myself. Like, I like who I am. And I remember just being at that moment that I was in hating myself so much Mm -hmm. because I was trying so hard to get sober and I couldn't, that like really hitting me so hard and me being like, all I want to do is not hate myself.
1: Mm -hmm. Like
0: that's you know what I mean? And it and it sounds almost like such a low expectation to have. But I mean, when you hate yourself as much as you do when you're an active alcoholic, the Mm -hmm. idea of living a life where you like are okay with yourself is just like feels unfathomable and the greatest like riches that you could have
1: i agree um i definitely think like you said hearing that one thing you know i was always told listen to the similarities not the differences and i had a really hard time for quite a while i'm like Everyone at this meeting sucks, and you know, kind of the same thing. I you still just go said. to some meetings that I think yeah. that believe me, I'll be like, and they're oh, like, God. "Oh, everything's so amazing!" and la da da da. I'm yeah. like, None of these people are dealing with depression, da 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 any of this mm-hmm. stuff. But when I heard that, I was like, "Okay, I'm going to find one thing in everyone's share or what the speaker shares and relate to one thing." And almost every person that shared, what I related with was their hopelessness. Mm-hmm. I literally felt so hopeless mm-hmm. and I felt just completely like a pile of shit. I had no self-esteem, I had tons of trauma, tons of pain, anger, set I mean, you name it and it was going on. <laughs> yeah. So it you know relating to that really really saved me. Right. And all of the materialistic bullshit doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, um, you could have, you know, an amazing husband or wife. You could have 50 cars or the best house or whatever, millions of dollars. But really, none of that shit matters. If you're living a life where you're happy with yourself and you're at peace and, you know, you have sent, like sanity and serenity mm-hmm. in your sobriety, I'm. and to me, that's all that matters. Yeah. And then, I mean, obviously, I am fortunate to live my life with someone that's sober as well. I mean, that puts the icing on the cake for me. Yeah. So it's pretty it's pretty amazing, the full circle of things.
0: Yeah. How was um, coming back into the adult industry after you got sober, how was that for you? And was there ever a moment or was there anybody that ever told you like, oh, you probably have this problem because you work in porn? Like, did you ever...
1: Okay, so first off, no one thought I had a problem. Mm -hmm. No one, because for the most part, I would get drunk and stuff at like the events or parties or whatever, but then I would leave there and we'd go somewhere else, or I would leave there and go home or whatever the case was, and that's when I would get super blacked out because the party never ended for me. I was like, okay, we left here at 2 a.m., where can we go next? Where's the after hours? Let's go to the store, like all these different things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it never ended for me, but people didn't see that. Mm -hmm. So when I started talking about like, I'm sober now, everybody was like, uh, okay. Like they didn't think I had an issue.
0: Yeah. And then, um. Well, people have such a like stereotypical idea of what they think an alcoholic is. Exactly. Yeah.
1: They're like, oh, well, we didn't see you drinking every day. I'm like, you don't
0: live under a bridge. Yeah. You can't possibly be an alcoholic. (laughs) Exactly.
1: But, um. Uh oh, it was so hard when I first came back because right away um you know there was a bunch of different events and actually when I was newly sober it was about to be ex-biz and AVN and I didn't go to either one mm. um and obviously I went to AVN this year and that it was it was really hard and not even I wouldn't even say like the partying wise but just to take the edge off the anxiety a little bit, mm-hmm. so I get a little bit of anxiety when I'm at AVN. Um, I'm a people pleaser, so yeah. I want to make sure that all of my fans and everyone they're getting an equal amount of time, mm-hmm. and I just want to like make sure everyone's happy and da 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 da. So it was it's really hard for me, but now that I got through AVN, I feel like. I literally can do anything. Yeah.
0: So yeah, that's a real test. Yeah, definitely. I, mean, I used to get so hammered at Avian. I was so. at the Avian Awards one year, <laughs> and I was—I've been drinking for like you know twenty-four-seven because when back in the day, like when you used to go when Avian was really, really big, we were having it at the Venetian, and it, oh my god, which was the most amazing hotel to have <laughs> it, in. now it's in the Hard Rock, and I hate that place. But um, you would go to these meetings, these eight a.m. meetings, and there'd be a fucking jar of orange juice and vodka and coffee if you wanted. So I'd start drinking at like 8 a.m. at business meetings. I'm like, oh my God. And so it was just like paradise for me.
1: You're like, I'm a businesswoman. I know, exactly, right?
0: (laughs) Fucking chugging fucking vodka at 8 a.m.
1: Well, they're supplying it, so we're like, oh, okay. Yeah, but
0: also, too, I'd like to point out that I had also drank vodka before I even got there. So, like, I mean, that was the first thing I did when I got out of bed was mm-hmm. drink more because that's the best way to cure a hangover. Uh-huh. Hello! So, um... And I was at the Evian Awards one year, and I just started to feel really sick. And I literally ducked my head under the table and threw up on myself. And then ducked, and then came right back up. And I was like, "Hey, nothing going on." Oh my god! (laughs) And there's pictures. And I was wearing this kind of, and there was like nothing in my stomach, but Mm -hmm. like booze. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like I was blowing chunks. It wasn't that much stuff. So, and the dress that I had, it was like a couple of layers, and it was a certain color, and had was kind of sheer. So anyways, you couldn't really see the stain. It wasn't super obvious. Um, but there's a picture of me on the red carpet from that event. And I think it's it was before I threw up because I threw up when I was sitting <laughs> at the event. And I look so wasted (laughs) and I'm wearing this green dress and my hair is up and you guys can fucking google it you'll find this photo trust me and my face is so bloated and my eyes Mm -hmm. are I mean I just look so fucked up and every time I see that picture come up I'm like it's just like It just reminds me of what it was like back then and I was just You know what's crazy
1: is you talk about the bloating, so even now like everyone's like, Wow, you look so great. Did you lose weight? It's like no, I just don't get fucked up now. But it totally like you can finally see like my actual face and bone structure and all that stuff. And I mean my skin is great now. Like I used to break out really bad all the Mm -hmm. time. So And like you said, not eating, like I never would eat. So that's part of the reason why I would blackout. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm not, I don't have time for food. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I didn't eat because, um, I didn't want anything to absorb the alcohol in my stomach. I mean that's how mm-hmm. I was,
1: or I was nauseous from already drinking so much, and I'm yes. like,
0: Ugh. yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. But you try to drink through the nausea <laughs> yeah. to the other side, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny when I first got sober. Um, you know, the first time after like so many years of drinking, I was such a heavy drinker for so long. I remember like looking in the mirror and being like, "What are these things coming out of my face? Oh my god, those are cheekbones! Like, because I look like." If you look at pictures of me, and if you remind me, I'll show you after the podcast, like, before I got sober the first time, like, when I was really, really bad, I look like I ate I myself. Like, my face is so huge. Mm-hmm. I look like I don't – it doesn't look like me. It's crazy. And I remember – and it's so funny. I look at pictures of myself, like, in my 20s. And I just thought I – and I thought I was so hot and I was always like, you know, like banging all these dudes and I was like, oh, I'm so – I got it all. <laughs> and I look at these pictures of myself now and I was like, oh, I was such a disgusting, <laughs> bloated mess. Why? Who fucked me? Yeah, right? Why did they – they must have also been really wasted. <laughs> right? Like, You're like oh. how did I get laid? I was disgusting. <laughs> it's so crazy.
1: You know what you could do is print off that picture and just like hang it up and be like, I do not want to be that. I know, right? right?
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, anyways, well, I'm, I'm really glad that you're sober now. Thank you. I'm and, glad you are too. Um, thanks. Yeah. yeah. Me too. <laughs> um, and, and I appreciate you being open and honest about that. Cause I know mm-hmm. it's something that a lot of people struggle with and it's something definitely. that's really hard to talk about and a lot of people don't want to admit to it. So
1: definitely I'm a huge advocate for sobriety, mental health, all that stuff, because I've battled with all of that stuff. And mm-hmm. if anyone ever asks or wants help or anything like, I'm more than willing to talk to someone. Obviously, I'm not a doctor, and yeah. I'm not going to tell them ever what they should do. But yeah. I will just share from my own experience But yeah. I believe that um, addiction and mental health is very overlooked, mm-hmm. especially in our industry.
0: Yeah, so. absolutely. Because it's easy to just write somebody off as being like, oh, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, you're fucking druggy." And I find myself doing it, too, sometimes if I get frustrated with someone. I'm just like, oh, you know. Like, if, if, if a model comes to set and she's, like, fucked up or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, the first thing in my head is, like, the fuck off my set. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to hire you again. Not, like, what can I do to help you? Like, how can I relate to what you're going through and, like, mm-hmm. you know, hold out my hand? But um, it's just uh, – it's a struggle because, you know, some people just don't want to get sober. And look, some people, like, go through a phase mm-hmm. and then, like – and then they don't do that anymore. You know what I mean? Like, not everybody – continues down that destructive path where it's going to like ruin your life so it's different for everyone so it's it's hard to judge if you know it's just some 19 year old girl who's like finally making money and got away from her parents and so she's doing a lot of blow because she's fucking 19 and you know or Mm -hmm. if it's somebody who's like on the verge of like a serious problem that's going to take them down
1: 100 percent.
0: yeah Okay, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about um, something else besides sobriety, (laughs) Something a little sexier for you guys, I promise. I
1: promise we're sexy. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be right back.
0: So really quickly, I just need to explain why I so desperately need you to support my podcast. Currently, I'm bringing in enough to cover the expenses of producing my show, but there's not much left over after all the bills have been paid. One big thing on my wish list for this year is I really want to take my show to the AVN convention, but that is going to cost me a fortune and I cannot do it without your help. Imagine all the amazing interviews I can get there in the middle of the biggest porn expo in the world. There's so much more I want to do, but I don't want to bore you with all the details. And I know a lot of you want to get back to the interview. So I will say this, please seriously consider supporting the show that you love so much. You can join my Patreon for as little as $5 and get access to the interview streaming live, as well as lots of other bonus content you cannot get anywhere else. There's also a lot more that I offer if you can afford to shell out a few more bucks. So go check out everything that I have to offer at patreon.com slash Unfiltered. Now, if you really can't or don't want to, for whatever reason, support my Patreon, please consider purchasing something from one of my sponsors. Just make sure you use my code. They will only come back to sponsor more episodes if they see their investment paying off. Thank you guys so much. And if you have any questions or concerns, please feel free to email me at hollyrandallunfiltered at gmail.com. And now, back to the show. Okay, so, Kenzie, um, I want to talk a little bit about um, how you got into the industry. That's always, like, kind of an interesting um, story that I like to ask my guests. So mine, how
1: how did you get in? Mine isn't interesting, actually. Um, of course, we get asked that all the time, but mm-hmm. mine literally is not interesting. Um, I was working, like, three or four different jobs, and I've I danced, like, stripped from mm-hmm. – When I was 16, I had a fake ID to be 18. Mm -hmm. So from when I was 16 up until maybe five years ago, I I did that, like, not full-time, but I did that a lot, Mm -hmm. almost, you know, nightly um, to get a lot of income. And also that's what helped me pay for college. Mm -hmm. So – but, yeah, I was dancing and I had heard about, like, how – It isn't hard to get into porn if Mm -hmm. you're decent looking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I think I could do that because I am a very sexual person and I've always wanted to do something to where I could just explore my sexuality and Mm -hmm. also have fun. And I was like, that would be an amazing job to be able to do that and You know, maybe it would take me to different things, open other doors, opportunities, whatnot. So um, I looked online. I Googled for like a few days. I found an agency. I called them, uh, talked to them a little bit about, you know, what I wanted to do and yada yada. And they were like, okay, we need you to send uh, raw images of you naked front and back, side to side. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're like, don't edit anything. Like it needs to be raw pictures from your cell phone because a lot of girls would use filters and stuff. Oh,
0: God. Yeah. And when then, I <laughs> when I get those pictures from girls, I'm like, what are you thinking? Yeah. Like I can't – I have no idea what you actually look like.
1: Exactly. So I took those images and then I sent them to them and they contacted me the next day. They're like, oh, you're beautiful. Okay, we want to have you out here. We're going to get you set up and shooting and whatnot. I ended up um flying out to LA the next week. I stayed here for Where were you living like before? three weeks? Um I was in Florida at that time. Okay. I'm originally from Michigan, but I lived in Florida for a very long time. Okay. I haven't lived in Michigan since I was like twenty two. Mm-hmm. When I graduated, I moved right to Florida. Um but, yeah, I, I flew out here. I was here for a few weeks, and that was a culture shock for me because I've never been to California, and I literally came across the country, had no clue what I was doing. I didn't know anyone here, and um, it was very fucking scary, Yeah, like super scary. And then um, they put me up at a, a model house at the time, Mm-hmm. And I didn't know anyone there, so I was like, oh, my God, is someone going to try to kill me in my sleep? Like, <laughs> this is scary as shit. Are yeah. these girls going to steal my belongings? Like, yeah. that's the type of stuff I was going through my head because I shared a room with, like, three or four other girls. I was going to
0: say, and a lot of those model houses, you share a room with a yeah. bunch of strangers. And
1: exactly. You're already
0: getting into an industry that, like— you know, some people might think is shady. You don't know a lot about it. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of unknowns.
1: Yeah. So I was really nervous about that. Um, so I had a photo shoot and I signed a contract or whatever <laughs> to be with that agency and which that agency is no longer even an agency. But so I would, I signed with them and I, in my entire couple of weeks there, I only had one shoot. And that shoot was for Zero Tolerance, Mm -hmm. for Mike Quasar was the director. Oh, my God. And then the talent was Mark Wood. Uh If it wasn't for that, I don't think I would have stayed because everyone was so cruel to me here. Really? No one was nice to me. I mean, the only person that was nice to me was – kira noir Mm -hmm. um her and i ended up being roommates she's awesome i love kira so much and her and i always talk about that but if it wasn't for her um and then also mike quasar mark wood being so amazing um i definitely don't think i would have stayed because i just had a really bad experience with everyone being mean and I kind of had to teach myself everything on my own.
0: Now, when you say everyone, do you mean the other girls in the model house? Or also, like, did you go on go-sees? I went on
1: go-sees. And, um, I mean, people are not n- not very nice. They yeah. don't sugarcoat things. Yeah. They're like, yeah, we'll think about it. I'm like, okay. And it's just very degrading at first because you have say, no idea. Yeah, and you're and like – And they're like, take your clothes off. And I'm like, right here? Like, Okay. And you
0: feel very vulnerable. Yeah, and there's yeah. like
1: five or six of them in the room, and they're all staring at you, and I feel like a... Piece of meat. Yeah. yeah. I literally felt like they were all birds, and they were going <laughs> to come in. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so... um I don't know. I I had that shoot, and um, to this day, I mean, I absolutely love Mike Quasar. He is one of my favorite people. I love him so much, but um, he was so helpful. Like, he walked me through everything. He told me the positions that we would do, and he said, if you need anything or if you need to stop, just tell me. And then, of course, Mark Wood, who's a veteran, like, he was amazing too and very gentle with me and said the same thing. And, um, yeah, they pretty much, you know, showed me the ropes of things. Cause I had no idea the positions in porn are different than in totally. our real
0: life. <laughs> it's so important to like, for your first scene to be with the right people. Cause mm-hmm. it can just change. I mean, I can't, I just think of all the girls who have probably come in and just had a bad scene with a bad director, mm-hmm. a bad talent. And just got a completely misinformed idea of what the entire industry was mm-hmm. like and like walked away from what could have been an amazing career just for that
1: one that one scene. Exactly. And then, you know, kind of ending up with that bad mouthing the industry because yeah. they had a bad because experience. Because they had that one bad experience.
0: Sad. And look, like there the porn industry is not full of all wonderful people. There's plenty of shady characters and mm-hmm. I think everybody has a bad experience at one point or another. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had a bad experience?
1: Uh, hmm. Besides
0: I, just working with somebody that maybe you didn't really like very
1: much? <laughs> ah, um, I, I, I don't really think so. Not, not off the top of my head. I mean, other than obviously people not being like very nice at all. Like my first year and a half um other than that like i can't really think of like a bad experience off the top of my head Mm -hmm. especially one that's like oh i hated this like yeah or like traumatic
0: that that really yeah nothing like that
1: um but yeah i i ended up uh, i was here for three weeks like i said i did that one shoot and then i didn't have any other things lined up and I was just like, okay, I was paying like $65 a day or $60 a day to be at that model house. So that all adds up. Yeah. So I ended up just going back home to Florida and um, I just, you know, didn't hear anything for like a week and a half. And I'm like, oh my God, did they not like me? Mm-hmm. The DVD came out. I was on the cover and I, my jaw like dropped. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> this is really happening. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And um they ended up getting me, uh, like, three bookings in Florida. And then um, my agent had told me, if you move to the West Coast, you'll probably be more successful. Mm-hmm. So it it literally wasn't even a question. I was like, okay, I'm doing it. Um, I ended up moving to Las Vegas because, obviously, it's cheaper there. Mm-hmm. And also, I could still dance if I wasn't shooting. Mm-hmm. So I moved there because of that. And... Um, I only stayed there for like seven to eight months. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of hated it. <laughs> but also, um, I was traveling so much to LA because I would get a few things here and there in mm-hmm. Vegas, but almost everything was in LA. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I moved to LA with someone who I met at that model house, and I had only met her a couple of times. Mm-hmm. But um, she was like, hey, you know, you can move into my house. I have an open bedroom. You'll have your own bathroom and, you know, it's only this amount of money. And I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. So I did it and I was there for quite a while. And then, yeah, Seth and I, oh, I moved in with Seth and yeah. (laughs) Um, How did you and Seth meet? Um. Everyone always asks that because they're like, did you guys fuck on set and you just fell in love? <laughs> um, I actually introduced myself to Seth at AVN um, like my second year, I think. And um, he was just like, oh, hey, or whatever, <laughs> like what went, went on with his way. I was like, oh, damn, like that guy is so hot. And I really wanted to talk to him. <laughs> but hey. yeah i was like oh man seth gamble you're such a dick (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah and then uh later on um i think yeah oh i was like sending like putting like emojis and stuff like that on his photos like commenting like the little thing with like Mm -hmm. the hard eyes and stuff Mm -hmm. like that like so retarded (laughs) but (laughs) i dm'd him and i was like hey um do you ever shoot content? Do you want to shoot some content? I just wanted a way to like kind of get him to talk you to me. Sneaky I little know. bastard! Yes. <laughs> so he messaged me back. He's like, "Oh yeah, for sure." Um, and we, I don't know. It somehow it leaded into um, us talking about hanging out, and then he had asked me out. I said yes. Um, I, so wait, was this before you shot content? No, we didn't never, shot content. You never yeah. shot
0: content. I love also too. Like in the adult industry, the whole like, hey, you want to shoot content yeah. is it's like a casual way of like Sliding in those DMs. Yeah, yeah, of like kind of being like, hey, do you want to fuck? But like in a not mo in a, in a business way. It's such an interesting. Little dynamic, if and this you think was about it, Or
1: Snapchat and OnlyFans, so it was before all of so that. So, what were you shooting content for? Um, I think I was gonna start like in many vids or whatever, okay? But yeah, so, um, <laughs> I ended up standing him up that first time because I was way too nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, we set up a second date and I stood him up that time because I ended up going out with some girls, mm-hmm. and then, um, the third time, um, he was like, Yo, like. This is the last time I'm gonna like set up something with you. Like, you know, if you don't wanna meet me, like, just tell me. But this is ridiculous. Like, mm-hmm. if you don't come, I probably am n- never gonna talk to you again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, wow, he's serious. So it was actually at Joey's in Woodland Hills. We always joke around and say that's like our spot. But <laughs> so I met him there and we sat there. I like, we ate. We obviously had a few drinks <laughs> mm-hmm. and we talked for like, four or five hours. I mean, and I, I don't believe in love at first sight, but I definitely believe in like when you meet someone and you have that instant connection. Yeah. Um, I don't know. i somehow, I just like knew like with Seth, even still today, I tell him like all the time, I feel like a little weirdo, but (laughs) I, I get that like nervous feeling in my stomach. Like, those butterflies or whatever people say. Yeah. I always get that. Like when I'm about to see him or when I talk to him. If I'm out of town, I talk to him on the phone or FaceTime. Yeah. Like Wow. I've had that ever since our first date and like I hope it never goes away. (laughs) Yeah. But it's like a really special. I've never had that about anyone in my entire life. That's amazing. Yeah. I love
0: that. I don't Mm -hmm. get that like It's interesting because I, you know, also very much like my boyfriend is like, it's really like the first time I've been like head over heels in love with somebody Mm -hmm. for like a significant amount of time, Mm -hmm. like three years is a long time for me. Um, And I don't, I don't get those butterflies, but for me, it's like just this, always this feeling of comfort and like rush of affection all Mm -hmm. the time, which I I never felt with anybody else. Like after I'd always get like kind of tired of them after a while. Or after a year, I'd have to, like, try to convince myself – I'd, like, try to make myself love them. It was like I had to talk myself into it. Yeah. And I would, like, look at them and be like, okay, like – and, like, think of all these qualities that they have that's really great. Okay, and be like, love this person. Love them. Love them. (laughs) And I, like, couldn't make myself do it. And I thought there was something wrong with me. And with him, I just – Like, it it just comes naturally, which has never happened for me before. It's very natural. Mm -hmm. But I love that butterflies thing. That's really sweet. Yeah,
1: yeah. I always feel like I've never really told anyone that except him. So everyone enjoy listening to me, (laughs) (laughs) pouring my heart out. But, yeah, um, I just feel like, uh, I don't know, like, I just feel like I have never loved someone so much in my life. And especially with everything we've been through, like, it's just crazy. Yeah, you have a real connection there. Yeah, it's just crazy to me. And, I mean, he loves me, obviously, very much, too. And I've just never, in my entire life, even childhood, everything, I've never had unconditional love. Mm -hmm. And it's such a beautiful, special feeling, Mm -hmm. so...
0: Yeah. Do you, so do you think that it's easier to date somebody in the adult industry than date somebody outside of the adult industry or do you guys sometimes have issues there as well?
1: Um I feel like obviously it's easier because we both understand how it is. Mm-hmm. Like before I met him, you know, obviously I went on like some dates with people and mm-hmm. whatever, but um they kind of were like in two different ways they were either like oh wow that's awesome do you do this and this and this or it was the other way like oh that's cool that's kind of gross yeah Uh, (laughs) either way
0: they like saw it like that's all they saw about you
1: exactly yeah and it it was just like after that like it was just porn 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 like they didn't they didn't see me for me which Mm -hmm. really sucked um but i think obviously dating someone in the industry is really great Um, with us, it just works because we have respect for one another. You know, we have some boundaries. Um, I'm bisexual, so, Mm -hmm. I mean, we, whatever, we can be with girls and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So, obviously, like, he likes So, you guys have threesomes sometimes? Yeah. So, um, and then, uh, I don't know. We just have respect and communication, trust, and to me, those three things are key, yeah. especially in a relationship if you're in porn. Yeah. So, yeah,
0: yeah, that's, that's, well, I can, you know, I, I adore your boyfriend and I can tell you, like, you know, when we're on set with, um, uh, cause I can, I, I see, you know, some guys who are in relationships and I can, I can always tell if somebody's like really there, Faithful just, or not. <laughs> yeah. Pretty yeah. much like just there for the job or yeah. if they have like alternate, other agendas or stuff yeah. like that, and and Seth's always been like very much about you, and mm-hmm. he always brings you up and
1: that, that kind of stuff. So
0: awesome, yeah. So um, you, as we mentioned before, um, you are going to be starring in the new Axel Braun movie, mm-hmm. Captain Marvel. You start shooting next week, I think you said June fifth. Yeah. June fifth. Mm-hmm. How many days of shooting do you have?
1: Ooh, um, mm, I think all together it's like. Five or six. I don't. Okay. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I literally, it's my showcase. I'm in every sex scene and
0: basically oh,
1: wow. all, all the dialogue I'm in on every page. So mm-hmm. the script is amazing though. Um, I can't really give out, you know, detail, but I will tell people it's, it's, there's a lot of comedy and then there's a little bit of drama as well. So it's like a mix of those. And I think everyone is going to really love it
0: who seth's in it too right
1: yeah yep yeah yeah. he's uh his deadpool he's doing that um yeah have you
0: you you guys are performing in the sex scene together
1: i'm not allowed to say anything oh really
0: (laughs) how is it working with him um in scenes do you find it Uh, like easier or is it harder sometimes
1: it's weird because we so we've been together three years we've only I think we've done maybe six or seven scenes together the Mm -hmm. entire time. Um, I think it's weird because of how he says things to me. He's like, okay, like, don't be porny on me. Like, just be yourself. I'm like, But we're in the movie and I have to be – I can't be like I am at home. Yeah. Because if I'm you say some dirty shit. Yeah. Because I shot you for the – I love talking dirty. I love
0: (laughs) it too. Uh, But I just didn't – it's so funny. I never know what to expect from people Mm -hmm. because I meet you like, you know, we talk in the makeup chair. Like I talk to you as a human being. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that you're not a human being when you're doing a scene. But you know what I mean. Like (laughs) we just talk like normally like we are now. And so I just never know what a girl is going to be like, like when she gets into the scene, if I've never worked with them before. Get into it. Yeah.
1: And like your mouth, like when it started, I was like, damn girl, you go. But it was good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love dirty talking. I think it's so sexy, but with him, um, especially if we're in a scene, like he doesn't laugh, but he'll have this look like he's about to laugh. Yeah, And I don't know. I just can't. So then it's just, It's just weird. Like, obviously, the sex is great, and you you could tell the chemistry and stuff, Mm -hmm. but it's just different. It's different. It tells me to not be porny. Yeah,
0: and you're taking what is an intimate – because, you know, there's a difference between, like – and this is something that I try to explain to people who like don't understand porn and don't understand how you could be in porn but also be in a committed relationship. Like, there's mm-hmm. a difference between performance sex for the camera mm-hmm. and like your intimate personal sex. So I can imagine for you that when you take that intimate personal sex and you bring it in front of the camera, it's it's different.
1: Yeah, it it can't really be super intimate because, like as you know, and uh, I don't want to say porn's mechanical by any means because it's amazing, but. With the positions we have to do, you know, you're opening up in certain ways that you would never do at home. Right. And, like, I'm all the way on my hip and my head's almost behind my head and, like, all this crazy stuff. Or you're in doggy and your one leg needs to be really far up so it's open. I mean, at home, you're just not thinking of any of that. Mm-hmm. You're literally having sex however you want. Right. And there's usually a lot of eye contact
0: and, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. And you actually can't really do that in porn so much because the camera needs to see your face. Exactly. So it's like sometimes if a girl is doing too much eye contact with the guy, like I feel like,
1: don't forget us. Yeah, you're like, don't forget the camera. Turn over, turn over your, your shoulder. Face. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, um, Mike Quasar, I remember once, uh, Mm -hmm. said that, or he said on several occasions that he thinks you're the most like underrated girl in porn. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and now you are going to be starring in this big, big movie. Mm -hmm. Um, so what do you consider the definition of success and do you think that you're there yet or do you feel like you're on the cusp of it?
1: Mm, That's a really good question. Well, I appreciate Mike Quasar saying that. And once again, I just love him very much. I um, love him. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so to me, um, success is um, really where you're giving your all into everything. Um, like I said earlier, materialistic things don't matter to me. So I can't be like, success is having this and having this. To me, success is, is – giving your all into everything, like pouring your heart and soul into things. And at the end of the day, being like, I did the best that I could. Mm -hmm. Um, And just being, um, I don't know, being like loving to everyone, that's success to me because you're just shedding love and light to others. Um, Yeah, being dedicated and... I think the way
0: that you... Know. touching on what you just said about yeah. giving love to others. I think the way that you behave towards other people is very much indicative about how you feel about yourself exactly. and what's going on in your own life. Like people who are super negative and unkind to other people. I always try to think, view that view them with some kind of compassion and think about like, you're, you must be, Like, you're very miserable. Exactly. Like, that's why you treat other people that way because Mm -hmm. you are yourself in so much pain and I feel sorry for you for that. As opposed to people who are, like, kind and loving, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they are usually – have a lot of serenity and happiness in their own life and so Mm -hmm. they, like, share it with other people, so.
1: Exactly. So I definitely find that successful and I know you probably ask that a lot and all the answers are so different, but that's just my own version of success and also – you know setting goals and achieving different goals that you set for yourself um stuff like that like i hate when people say you're setting yourself up for failure i don't really believe in that mm. i believe that even though we go through hard things that some might consider as failure it's really not it's just a stepping stone for something greater that you're meant for in life
0: yeah i mean the thing is is that um you know we learn from our failures, you mm-hmm. know, um, and not everything's going to always work out. I mean, mm-hmm. there's been a lot of things that I've tried in my career and, and just hasn't worked out. So then I moved on to the next thing. Um, but I think it, I do think it's important to set goals. Do you, like, write them down anywhere or do you have them in your head or like, do you have specific goals that you have ahead of you right now that you want to achieve?
1: I have them in my head. I also have like in my phone, like the notes thing, like sometimes I'll write notes and then sometimes I'll write them down at home as well. Um, as far as right now, the goals that I have, um, it's mainly just, uh, trying to Work as hard as I can because I would love to eventually get into like production or directing. Like, mm-hmm. I would absolutely love to do that. And I feel like our industry is really blossoming with the female directors. Mm. And I think it's so amazing because I'm, I mean, by any means, I'm not like a feminist or anything, but I think that, you know, our industry was very like, male driven or male powered with all of these uh, men being like directors and everything like that. It was just kind of like all guys. Mm -hmm. There were a few girls here and there. So I really think that that's amazing. I would love to do something like that. Um, Obviously with this movie, Captain Marvel, um, I still am like in shock about it (laughs) and I'm so just, I'm full of gratitude that I'm given this opportunity And um, I really am just going to give it, like, my all. Like, everything I've got is going to go into this movie. And I just want to show people that I'm not just, like, a gonzo girl. Like, I actually can do more than just that. Like, Mm -hmm. the acting and, you know, feeling the emotions and really putting everything into being the character. So I'm really excited for that. So
0: you feel, I imagine, that this is like your opportunity to really show off um, your acting skills.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm really excited. And not even just the acting. Um, as everyone knows, Captain Marvel is pretty badass. So she, she does a few... Different things.
0: <laughs> so. Are there going to be, like, stunts involved?
1: <laughs> um, I'm not allowed to say. Oh, my yeah, god! But, but we'll see. <laughs> All
0: right. We'll just have to wait and see. Do you have any idea when the release date's going to be?
1: Um, um, I wasn't told that. I'm guessing that since we're filming this month, it'll take, like, a couple of months. So maybe, like... He's probably
0: trying to get it in before the yeah, Avian maybe nomination like
1: cutoff. Maybe August, September something yeah, like that. Yeah, I was going to say, I
0: think like the Avian nomination cutoff is like October
1: or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm October sure October. I, it'll be done before then. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah you don't want to so. have to wait till next year exactly. to win all your awards for it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I hope. That'd be amazing. But as far as what you asked me earlier, like, do I consider myself successful? I do because not only am I clean and sober, but the life I live today is so full and so amazing and I am at peace and you know I do work really hard for every single thing I have and there are doors opening for me finally that I kind of feel like I'm breaking through that barrier Um, until you've kind of hit like the three-year mark mm-hmm. as a I don't know about male performer but as a female performer it's kind of like okay cool like I'm I'm here and mm-hmm. people are now taking me seriously. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you
0: should say three years. I've heard that from other girls as well. Like literally like that's like kind of the mark that you get to make when it you or know, break it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like either you're going to do well or maybe this is not the right path for you.
1: Exactly. And, um, I just hit my four year mark in, uh, March March this year. So I feel like now, not that no one was taking me seriously before, but they're taking me even more seriously. And, I'm getting offered to, like, work for companies and directors that I I never have yet. And I'm trying to just um, space things out, though. Like, mm-hmm. I've never done a DP. I've never done a gangbang, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, And I have no plans to do that anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to take my time, kind of spread things out. I yeah. don't want to be like,
0: do everything at yeah, once. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Sorry, I make sound effects. I'm really weird.
0: <laughs> you're totally fine. I mean, this is an auditory yeah. podcast. So sound effects are more than welcome. <laughs> yeah.
1: But yeah, I I definitely consider myself successful. That's great. And I'm full of happiness, too. And I think if you're happy as well, like that's total success. I think that's a,
0: a true definition of success. I know mm-hmm. a lot of people with a lot of money big jobs, Aren't but happy. they're not happy. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily say they're successful.
1: Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you
0: so much, Kenzie, for coming on. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're awesome. Um, congratulations on getting that role. Um, best thank of you. luck with that. Do you want to tell everybody where they can find you on social media? And also to, um, if you have any other platforms you want to promote,
1: mm-hmm. um, I have a brand new platform and it is the only platform I'm using. Um, it's the only way to basically get all of my private content and then, like, message me and stuff. It's um, <clears throat> adkenzie.com, so dot com, And then Twitter and Instagram are the same. Uh, the handle is at the Kenzie Taylor, T-H-E-K-E-N-Z-I-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. All right, guys, and you can follow me at Holly Randall on Twitter and on Instagram if you want to contribute to this podcast and help me achieve all of my goals that I have with this show. You do, it. do it. Do <laughs> it because I have a lot of really cool things I want to do. One of them mainly is actually going to the AVN show and um, – broadcasting live from there.
1: That'd be awesome. Yeah. You have like your own booth there. Uh,
0: yeah. And have like girls come and do lots of like interviews, um, from the biggest porn show in the world right. um, but that is going to cost me a fortune because you know how fucking expensive Vegas is.
1: Just put it in the atmosphere I totally believe in whatever you put out yes. is what you'll receive Yeah, so. so I'm
0: putting it out there join my Patreon yeah. <laughs> so I can afford to go to Vegas and do this show uh, Patreon.com slash Holly Randall Unfiltered Also don't forget I have a Facebook group that you can join, that's Facebook.com slash groups slash Holly Randall Unfiltered. If you have any Questions, comments, um, you want to send me dick pics, please please <laughs> don't do that. Just kidding. But you can email me, hollyrandallunfiltered at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much. We will see you next week. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. If you like my podcast, please make sure to give me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It helps me a lot. If you're not listening to me on the iTunes platform, then you can support me in so many other ways. Um, first of all, obviously, I would love it if you would join my Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Holly Randall unfiltered, where not only will all of the donations that I get go towards making this podcast better, but also I offer really, really cool perks in exchange for your support. Um, Don't forget that I have a new podcast called My L.A. Porn Job that I am doing with my assistant Eva, and it is fucking hilarious. And it is available only on my Patreon for only $5 a month. So that's pretty, pretty cheap. And I promise we will make you laugh and we'll give you even more insight into this fascinating business that I work in. You can also join my Facebook group, go to facebook.com slash groups slash Holly Randall unfiltered to get access to other exclusive news about the podcast, as well as just join our community. Don't forget too, that I videotape all of my podcast interviews and you can access all of those at my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash C slash Holly Randall unfiltered. You can also email us. Holly Randall unfiltered at gmail.com. Or if you want to leave a voicemail to maybe ask a question for one of my upcoming guests, or just leave a comment or tell us a crazy story or anything that you want to say, you can call us at 424 216 6967. So please. Send us an email, leave us a Facebook message, leave us a Patreon message, um, leave us a voicemail, and we will maybe get back to you on the show, Um, especially the new podcast that I'm doing with Eva. My LA Porn Job will definitely be uh, responding to some of your messages. And overall, we just want to hear back from you guys, want to know how we're doing, what you love about the show, what you hate about the show, who you want to listen to. All of that feedback is super valuable to help me make this show the best that it can be. One last piece of news. I plan on going to the 2020 AVN convention in Las Vegas, and I'm going to bring you this podcast live from the show floor. So that's another reason why I need your financial support, because that's going to be a very expensive trip for me. And, um, I'm definitely not making the kind of income from the show yet to cover it, which is fine, but I hope to eventually get there one day. And with your help, I hopefully will. So thank you all so much for listening. Thank you guys for supporting. I appreciate you so much. And, um, I'm still like kind of flabbergasted that this show has done as well as it has. And I'm just super grateful for all of you. Next week on Holly Randall Unfiltered, I am so excited for two reasons. Number one, Mia Malkova is coming on the podcast and I've been trying to get her on for a while. And number two, next week is my 100th episode. Can you believe it? Can you believe I've done a hundred episodes. It's It's crazy to me. This journey has been so incredible. And thank you to everybody who's been here on it with me. So make sure that you come back next week for Mia Malkova and my hundredth episode on Holly Randall Unfiltered.